Hello and good evening, ladies and gentlemen, from the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports. You are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WBFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State, coming to you live from Room 420 inside of Diffenbaugh. Save your jokes at the door. I am your host, Nick Carlisle, bringing you the latest, greatest, and Florida State is in everything sports, or at least as much as we can fit within the hour for people all around the world. Of course, you can find us on Twitter at talk underscore Tomahawk, and you can call into the show at 850-644-1837. Once again, that's 850-644-1837. Welcome to Tomahawk Talk, everyone, and Florida State is going back to Omaha. I don't have anything to slam in front of me like Mike Martin does, but the, uh, the Seminoles are heading back to Omaha and have seemingly, against all odds and doubts, my own included, have reached the College World Series for the 23rd consecutive, not consecutive, but the 23rd time overall. If it was 23 consecutive years, I don't I don't know what we'd be doing. Uh, but we have a super baseball-heavy show tonight. Luke, Brett, and Alex were there, and they are here now to talk, uh, talk with us about it. Uh, let's waste no time with this, guys. Let's get right into it, because we do indeed have a lot to chop through. What is a captain without his crew? I am joined by my good friend and co-host, Luke Fay, And to my right is Brett Rutherford and Alex Krutchik. I want your favorite moment from this weekend, uh, starting with you, Luke. You know, my favorite moment, there's so many, but uh, got to say, probably Alex forgetting his shoes um, on the whole trip. Uh, that That's something that I, I would have never uh, uh, thought being seen, but... Alex, I gotta give give it to you. You know, you really made some work out of those slides. You really forgot your shoes. Um, yeah, I had about three bags to carry to the car, and uh, only two of them made it to the car. So you just you just straight up forgot. I just forgot one, them. One bag. We went out to the bar one night. I. Oh, okay. I was, Say no more. Yeah. <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, what what was your favorite moment then, Alex? Um, probably being able to find Reese Albert's home run ball. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't know how did how did you guys go about finding that? Because, funny enough, we we were the or you guys were the ones that found that crucial home run ball in game one. Well, well, what ended up happening was we were driving home, and uh, I had to write a story for the FSU, and I really didn't want to write it. Uh, and I, I'm glad I, you're saying yeah. that on air. Oh, of course. Well, no, and, and that's not actually what happened. My computer just blew up. But, anyways, we were driving home, and we're about halfway there, and I looked over and I said, you know, he hit the crap out of that ball i bet you it's still there like it didn't land in the state uh, like in the in the stands and we kind of sat there and gianna who was driving uh, one of uh one of our v89 sports anchors who also is doing twitter i think she'll be doing twitter today we'll see she goes well yeah why don't we just go back and look and so we drove all the way back it was about a five minute drive went and looked and i was looking in the parking lot me and brett were looking in the parking lot couldn't find anything and I just gave up hope, and then Alex can take it from there. Alex and Gianna went over to the other side of the stadium. And there was they a, took a um, look. there was a fence that was holding like electrical boxes, AC boxes, definitely a place we weren't allowed in. <laughs> so I'm peeking through the cracks to see if maybe it's there. And in the middle of all this is just a clear white baseball with a giant scuff mark on the side of it. And I said, "That's the ball." So I snuck in there, took my credential off real quick, ran in there, ran out as quickly as I could. Came out very casually, just said, "Hey, Luke, catch!" <laughs> nice. And I threw it right back. We, at we him. thought it was a joke. Brett and I, like, we were like, "Oh, he found the baseball." And then you look at it, and it says NCAA tournament baseball, and right. then it has an SEC mark on it, and that's where Reese Albert hit the barrel on the bat. He scuffed the mark on the SEC logo. Uh, it, I, Brett, I don't know about you, that was probably one of the highlights of the weekend. This, if we were going to talk, we could spend more than just this hour 
breaking down everything that went that went on this weekend. Obviously, finding the ball was a huge highlight. The games were amazing. For me, though, uh, my favorite part of the weekend uh, was watching Mike Martin in those two press conferences. Um, the, the amount of joy on his face and in his words, uh, it's kind of indescribable. I mean, obviously, you could go back and listen to the tape, but it was just what this man has accomplished and where I think we all collectively thought this season was headed uh, and, and to see them win that game last night in walk-off fashion uh, and, and to, to, to listen to him in that press conference, it was, it was magical. Wow, that's really good. To, it's hearing the story about finding the baseball really just kind of reminds me of searching for your golf ball when you just shank it off the tee, and it's kind of just like, is this my ball? Is this not my ball? But uh, I, I, I will take I will take your word for it. If it it's, literally has a gigantic, I don't know what color his bat is, but if it has literally a, a, a smudge right it, on the, it, it, there's no doubt about it because number one, I don't think you're using NCAA tournament baseballs in BP, and it was exactly where the ball was hit. Okay, um, and. I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, we decided on the way there. We said what we're gonna do is no one gets to keep this ball. We're gonna try to put it in a case, maybe see if we can get it signed, and uh, make it kind of our station memento. You know, kind of okay. kind of our thing. And Reese Albert even uh, retweeted the tweet that said that we had his ball. So kind of kind of a cool story from from that end. Yeah, we're waiting to see if he asks for it back. Yeah, that's, we, we that's said a very we good said point. we said five strikeouts in game two. You can't get your ball. Yeah, back. No, <laughs> there would definitely be some sort of a negotiation if they, if it ever uh, came to that. But I think uh, we want to keep the ball at the station for forever. Forever, indeed. So Luke Faye, Alex Krutchik, Brett Rutherford. Once again, I am Nick Carlisle. Back in the driver's seat tonight. We're not going to have the off the top because this weekend was just so just packed with really important things that went on for Florida State's baseball team. So we're really just going to dive straight into it. And after all the events that occurred this weekend and, and hearing what Mike Martin said in, in, I believe, his second press conference, he said that this night or that night would be etched in stone or etched in stone in his mind, something uh, of the other, is saying that it's going to be there as long as, as he's alive. And he really did sound super pleased. So knowing that Mike Martin really isn't one to boast about accomplishments, he's very humble. Luke, my first question is, does this getting to Omaha kind of really tie a bow on what everything he wanted to accomplish this season. Do you think that Mike Martin is satisfied and happy with how the season has turned out? Or do you still think in the back of his mind, he's really re reaching for that championship? Uh, when, when we were in the press conference, he's, uh, they mentioned, I believe in 2003, they were the number one team in the, in the entire country going into uh, the super regionals. And they were the only, they were the only team in history up until UCLA for the number one overall seed to not make it uh, out of the Super Regional. And they said, well, do you think this kind of evens it out that like a team that wasn't supposed to make it made it? And he said, I don't believe in evening out. Like things, this is this is what happened. This was the reason for us to be there. And they they came out and from the moment, from the get-go in game two, I, I, I looked over to Brett and I said, they're, they're locked in. And game one came out flat. You know, things happened, but after, I, I want to say the game game one press conference, all of us looked at each other, he was a little bit chipper, but you could tell, I'd never seen Mike Martin locked in from a standpoint of his answers were two to three sentences. And, and I mean, two to three sentences, he was concise and a little bit of himself, but he was ready to go. He wanted, I think he knew that the legacy wasn't really, really there, but that in, in order for him to have a successful season, he needed to go back to Omaha. And that's what, go, tying this back to the baseball, I feel like 
this baseball that we got is a historic moment in Florida State history where you you never know you never knew that this team was going to get this far and I know Brett was in that press conference it was just it was something different about about the whole the whole thing they were they were ready they were ready for this moment yeah I, I do think there is a sense uh, that this Florida State team and I think Mike Martin does feel this to an extent that they're playing with house money um, obviously an up and down regular season uh, an early loss and elimination from the ACC tournament, um, but just a couple great weekends of baseball. I don't think um, that he's going into the College World Series um, thinking that ah, we're probably not going to win this, but I'll get to ride out, you know, in Omaha, coach my last game. But let me stop you there. The question more is like, with how the season has gone, do you think that he feels a sense of accomplishment with where this team was? One hundred percent. And where where does that leave him in the mindset of chasing a championship? One hundred percent. I think I I, I think. Um, you know, obviously, especially the way they, they played this weekend, I'm sure we're going to break that down a little bit here in a second. Um, they they have a chance to, to go to Omaha and compete with the rest of these teams. We saw them beat up on Georgia, take two games in, uh, in Baton Rouge against LSU. Um, they have a chance. And I think uh, the one thing, though, that I think this weekend did is um, I know there's kind of been this a lot of discussion about, well, you know, Mike Martin's had a great career, um, but he's never brought home a national championship. And with the way this season went, you know, three losses to Florida, some people in the Florida State fan base thought that this might have tarnished his legacy. Um, But I think everything that happened this weekend um, kind of did away with that. Speaking of legacy, Alex, Florida State was able to uh, once again reach the 40 win mark uh, with, I believe, the victory in game one. What do you what do you make of that? Does that also kind of. I guess take the pressure off what happened earlier in the season. Do you think that the Florida State fan base can relax now that another streak has kind of been preserved? And maybe I guess I guess do you think that this this fan base has a sense of security now with how things played out? Yeah, I think it's you wanted the forty win season. You wanted that's the minimum. I think it's just like the FSU bowl streak with football was that was the absolute minimum. And as long as we can get that, then and win a few games in the tournament then that's a successful season, you know? And I think that's what we got. I think we got a 40-win season. We just swept LSU at Alex Box Stadium. I think that this is already what could be considered a successful season. And actually, the more that I thought about it, the more this team kind of reminds me of that 2016 football team where they started the season 3-2. and two. Everyone wanted the entire coaching staff to get fired. And they ended the season only losing one more game against Clemson by four. And they didn't win the national championship, but Jimbo Fisher even said, with the way that we came back from that subpar start of the season, this is the best team I've ever coached. And I think that you can make the argument that this is kind of the same thing for the baseball team. Now, just taking a look at the specifics of the in-game, we're just going to go game by game here. Obviously, I don't, I don't think anybody would argue with me in the sense that I think Reese Albert really is just the hero of game one. And it really begs the question as to what Florida State was missing when he was out intermittently. Uh, during the middle of the season. Luke, do you think that having Reese Albert in the lineup earlier in the season might have negated some of the troubles that Florida State went through this season, or do you think it was really just that above the shoulders? Uh, I don't think him being out really affected it. I, it, has to, it has to do with more of um, the experience of the team. And Mike Martin said in his press conference that at times they would play six freshmen um, in a game and that they really weren't ready for the moment. And when it came to – there's something about – um, there's something about teams that can uh, get things going in the NCAA tournament. Uh, I th- I want to say 
Louisville, Michigan, those are the type of basketball teams that somehow doesn't really matter how their their season was going. They get it going in the tournament. And Mike Martin's team um, from from the last couple of years, they get rolling towards the end of the season. The problem that I think has been with most of his teams is they peak too early. And right now, as Brett and we've alluded to many times, is they're playing with house money. They know that they weren't very good, and then all of a sudden now everything's clicking at the right time. Connor, I think the big the big thing for Florida State is Connor Grady in his last start really established something against Georgia, and that's a little bit more confidence for your team. That Drew Parrish, he allowed four runs, but he was a little bit he was a little bit shaky. C.J. Van Eyck had a stellar game. We, we're going to get into a decision of keeping him in the eighth, but overall, um, you gotta you gotta like where the team is. They're they're always they're always improving right now, and I think Drew Mendoza said in his press conference, "We're the hottest team in baseball." Brett, would you agree? Or is Florida State the hottest team in baseball right now? With with the with the competition they've played and, and the way that you know uh, one of the last four teams that made it into the tournament, um, and the competition they've played with with Georgia and then with LSU this past weekend, yeah, I think it's gonna be, it'd be tough to make an argument for anyone else across the country um, because some of the top schools in the nation UCLA was eliminated this past weekend Vanderbilt had to go to a game three against uh, Duke in their super regional Florida State hasn't had a blip they have not lost um, in the postseason they they beat FAU beat Georgia twice and then LSU twice this weekend yeah I think uh, it'd be hard to make an argument for for any other program in the country to call them the, the hottest team and Alex Alex I think um, one of it was either you or Brett pointed out that uh, two of the last four teams in to the col- uh, into into this playoff system are going to the College World Series in Florida State and Michigan. It's the you you were the one who said that college baseball is better than March Madness. That was your hot take. Do you want to do you want to explain that? Because <laughs> I don't. I, that's something that I can't quite wrap my head around. Maybe this year that might have been a truer statement because the 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 March Madness tournament was very chalk this year. But I'm curious to hear your 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 thoughts on that. I think that the March Madness, or I'm sorry, the college baseball tournament at its best is better than March Madness at its best because you're not going game by game. You're going, we have an entire weekend to play. You know, in college basketball, you are putting out your lineup for that game and it doesn't matter what else is going on the next day. With college baseball, you know we got at least two games to play. I need to set my pitching rotation in such a way that I know that we got to win this game, but we also got a game tomorrow. We might have a game the next day. Um, there's just a lot of variation in what you need to do with your bullpen, with your, like LSU used up uh, five or six people out of the bullpen. Six, six in the first game. Exactly, and that affects the rest of your tournament for you possibly. Right. So Brett, we've had you on the show a lot this summer, uh, just talking about Florida State baseball, and I always seem to come back to this question with you because we've been on the same page for the most part when it comes to how we feel about the baseball team. Uh, whenever we come on the show. And I'm going to reiterate, you know, the question again. After this weekend, where is your confidence level with this team? Confidence level going into the College World Series, I think uh, it's a hard tournament to win. Eight teams, double elimination in a high-intensity stadium. Um, but if, if you're talking just in terms of confidence at, you know, can they compete, Can they? will they not embarrass themselves this weekend in Omaha, it's through the roof. I, th- I definitely think they, they have a chance. It looks like they're going to be playing Arkansas in their first game this weekend out in Omaha, and uh, I think, uh, you know, in terms of confidence, uh, they are going to make it one heck of a baseball game against Arkansas. I can't guarantee wins, but uh, it's going to be interesting. 
and Arkansas is probably one of the best, if not the best teams in the country right now. And I'm talking over the course of the entire season. I'm not talking like Florida State that just obviously got hot right uh, right recently, but uh, Arkansas would be a very tough out in Florida State. I guess, unfortunately, if you're a Florida State fan, uh, has drawn Arkansas. Uh, assuming that they do continue to beat up on Ole Miss, which they're up by how much well, now? I've got breaking news. They have just won the game against okay. Ole Miss. Uh, so it will be Florida State against the Razorbacks, who uh, on, on Talking Shop, which is our collab show with uh, FSVU, I picked Arkansas to win the national championship. Uh, so this could be interesting. So, no, Luke, knowing what you know about where Florida State is now, do you, do you see – any of what's happening now? Did you see any of it earlier in the season, or are you kind of just t- taken completely by surprise by I, what's happened? Drew Mendoza said in his press conference, we didn't even believe halfway through the season. Uh, Mike Martin said he was reevaluating his whole staff going, what are we doing wrong? They, Everyone was everyone was wondering what, what exactly was happening. It, and as, as Mendoza said, you know, the, the press didn't really believe in us, but at, at the same time, Neither did the team. No, and I and I honestly loved that that uh, honesty and that yeah, authenticity because you know the cliche is like, oh, we always believed that we could get to this point that we could compete for a national championship. And Mendoza was honest. He said things aren't going right. But, but the thing is, now they do believe. That's that's the one thing that I I could see now is they they go, well, we were they were sorry. They were sorry towards the middle and and latter part of the season, and all of a sudden now they are the hottest team in baseball. They're the team to beat. And really, it's a successful season right now. And Mike Martin did not—he did not expect to be there. It was—he was just so genuinely happy to get back. I really don't think that he'll be—I I, I say this—he won't be disappointed if he doesn't win. But he just wanted to end his career in Omaha. And, and Florida State might not be the best out of the eight teams that are—they're going to be at the College World Series. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking at any of these teams, I don't think any of them want to play Florida State with the with the magic that's kind of happened. You know, it's kind of you know. We kind of see play out in front of our eyes with Mike Martin, with Tim Becker, with Reese Albert. Uh, I think uh, if you're looking at this field, you think, I want to stay away from those guys. I, I want to go back to what the LSU coach said. I think it was um, Paul, Paul Maneri. Yeah, what, what he said at the beginning of his press conference, which is this is just what Mike Martin meant to the entirety of college baseball. As he said, you know, hats off to Florida State. And I, I just want to let him know that we're going to be rooting – for, for 11 to go and win the College World Series in his final time. This is after a guy who had just lost in a very emotional game in the most – I mean, it was the loudest stadium. Mike Barton said it was the loudest stadium he had ever played in, in his entire career. The loudest stadium. And he had a standing ovation when he, when he was right. announced before game one. He had to give autographs to the opposing fans <laughs> while he was walking into the stadium. And so the, the, the manager of LSU – not even before even acknowledging his team as saying, I'm going to root for Florida State. And then I believe it was the SID or the tournament director for LSU. Mm-hmm. He said, at the very end of the press conference, he said, um, you know, I'm. it was great to have you here. And I just want to let you know that everyone from LSU and, and me, we're, we're rooting for you to win. And I, 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 I can say this, that Brett, Gianna, and Alex, when we were there, LSU was the classiest fan base we've I've ever been a part. Of. They were so nice. No, it was it was incredible, and I think Alex could probably you know elaborate on this a little bit more. Just you know from the way we were treated as members of the media to the way the teams were treated, um, it was it was an incredible experience. It was a very you know they they were extremely classy out in Baton Rouge. Yeah, we were put out in the auxiliary press box among the fans, which I loved. I loved the idea of us being in the middle of the crowd, 
at the end of the at the end of game two, after losing an emotional game in the twelfth inning, it's late, it's hot out. Um, there was a guy who I was talking to for a couple of seconds, and he said, you know, he shook my hand. He said, "Good luck the rest of the way." I mean, there's not many fan bases around the country that could go through a game like that and look someone in the eyes and say, "Hey, good luck to you guys the rest of the way." Is, is it just an SEC thing? Is what I'm wondering. No. Southern I'm not gonna say that. No, not at all. No. I think it's I think it's Louisiana as a whole, like <laughs> that type of people. But it was it was just so interesting because like even even when we went out and met other students from LSU. We just kind of nonchalantly would say something, and they knew exactly what happened with the baseball game. They were all up to date. LSU, for some reason, loves baseball, which we had no idea. If you went to a, a, a Florida State fan, someone would even know that Florida State was in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, I mean, no, uh, no, Brett, like every had, single person we talked to knew baseball. I it had was L- bizarre. Yeah, there was an LSU student that was telling me, more about Tim Becker than I knew, and, yeah, and, which was just completely incredible. Um, yeah, they're definitely, you know, obviously it's a football town, very similar to Tallahassee, um, but they really embrace college baseball. It's something that uh, I, I'd wish to see a little more of uh, over here in uh, in Tallahassee. I mean, there was a guy that made a bird box for Mike Martin. Yeah, I know. <laughs> an actual <laughs> bird box. Yeah, it's just incredible. I, I like how you bring up Tim Becker. That's actually a pretty nice transition to who I want to talk about next, which was Becker. And of course, I'm not. Quite sure what you were able to talk about last week, Luke. Unfortunately, I couldn't tune in, but uh, understandably, I mean, Tim Becker has been having a fantastic postseason, and that continued. He did get a very crucial sack fly RBI uh, in game one to kind of carry Florida State to that victory. Uh, that was a 6-4 to four victory. Nick, the, by single, the, the single for the, the home run by Reese Albert, he was the one who had the single that started that. Right. I mean, he, he's played, he has played so incredible that – People are hoping he has a six year. Golly, he he I I I was a loss for words because when they, when they when they had Tim Becker go and lay down the bunt, um, I don't know what inning it was, might have been the third inning. Oh, Tim Becker go uh go and lay down a bunt for us, and he popped it up and flew out. Everyone's going, this is your best hitter on the team. You got to let him swing. And I believe that next uh at bat he had the RBI double. Right. Oh, was it was it a double or was it? The, it was a the, double down the left field line. Maybe it was a pop fly in a, in a different game that I was thinking of. Yeah, um, that was in game game that, one. He had a, a, a bases loaded um, sack fly to left. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what I was referring yeah, to. Yeah. He must have been referring to uh, game, in, two. game two. Game two. He's okay. been so good throughout. Now, I mean, now we're you get back mixed up, page. man. I was like, yeah. whoa, wait, 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 wait a minute. I, making me feel a little jittery about it. <laughs> but, uh, you uh, you should have been at the game. We were uh, all I jittery. I, I know, but. Um, I mean, Tim Becker really is an outstanding guy. I mean, I wrote about, I wrote a story about a story about him. Excuse me, early in the year. I mean, he's worked incredibly hard, and it's really enjoyable, especially if you're a fan of Florida State baseball and you understand Tim Becker and where he's come from and how hard he's had to work. You got to be happy with what he's been able to do. But moving on, uh, just a little bit before we go into break, going to start talking about Game Two here. Uh, Reese Albert, hero of Game One. Don't really think that anybody's going to dispute that. Uh, hero of Game Two, Antonio Velez. And this is and this is a guy that really was I'm not gonna say the the most inconsistent player in the bullpen over the course of the season, but he definitely wasn't shining like most of the bullpen was during that rough stretch for Florida State. So Brett, uh, Antonio Velez had his best outing of the season. Yeah. How 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 does that? Where does that come from? Like, where, I, I'm very curious to know. I think uh, baseball where that happened. Yeah, from. no, I think uh, you know Antonio was was probably pretty consistently average throughout the regular season. I criticized the amount of 
of <laughs> crafty lefties coming out of the uh, Florida State bullpen. <laughs> I did that, I think, multiple times on this show. Um, but, you know, Antonio, is fir- his first year with the program, coming out of Hillsborough Community College. Um, and I think this is his re- first real opportunity to pitch in a, in a high-intensity game. Um, and I wasn't quite sure how he was going to take that. And he took it in stride, and this was some of the best stuff I had seen from Velez. Uh, and I think and he mentioned it in his press conference. He knew he went out there, and he didn't have to strike everyone out. Um, he doesn't have that overpowering stuff. He doesn't have the you know the the high nineties fastball that some of the other guys in the staff do. He threw strikes, forced a lot of ground balls, and that that's what allowed him to pitch so deep into that game out of the bullpen. And it's funny that you mentioned that he said he didn't have to strike everybody out because he did end up striking quite a lot of people. He struck out more people than C.J. Van Eyck did in uh, seven and one-thirds innings of work, which uh, I do want to get to that, but we're going to try and stretch this out so we can get to the break. We're going to start the break a little early if you want to try to divide the show up a little bit better. So we're going to take about a one-and-a-half minute, just a two-minute break, just to get some water. Uh, relieve ourselves and whatnot, whatnot. You are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Back to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. On the other side of the break, we were beginning to talk about Game 2, talk about the heroics of Antonio Velez and how he was really just delivering his best outing of the season. But Luke talked about it or mentioned it earlier in the show. There was a little bit of a kerfluffle to kind of get there to where, uh, or excuse me, in Game 1, pulling uh, C.J. Van Eyck in the the eighth inning. Well, we, uh, as a group, Brett... Alex, John, and I are looking at each other saying C.J. Van Eyck in the seventh inning was throwing a couple of balls a little bit low. 
And so you're thinking, oh, they'll probably take him out. He's at about 115 pitches through seven innings. And he had done great work. And you've had Velez warming up and everything. And Mike Martin does the same thing that he's done a couple of times in his career where he left out C.J. Van Eyck for no apparent reason. And in his press conference, he said, well, he told me he wanted to go back out. And to this day, I still think that's a just because the guy says you want to come out, what was he going to say? You know, I'm shot. I, I, I don't have it. I thought that that was, that was one of those moments where if the game doesn't go that way, um, fans are turning and saying, see, this is why Mike Martin is a little bit too old to be coaching baseball and, <laughs> and whatnot. And he got away with it. And Florida State got away with a couple of things, with a base running mistakes from LSU multiple times. Um, Florida State, I believe, had no errors in game two. But in game one, they had an error, a pop-up to center that was lost. And the next play was a double play. So Florida State probably had four or five things go their way. And Brett, Brett can explain this, that could have changed the way to LSU because everyone in that stadium thought LSU was going to win game two. No, and really the the defense for Florida State was something that's been criticized heavily the entire year in Florida State. Uh, got uh, obviously away with the error in center field and uh, the double play that you just mentioned. But, of course, in game two, they did not allow any errors. And, you know, if this was a Florida State, st- a Florida State team still playing under that kind of defensive lapse, uh, really not playing well on the defensive end, especially uh, Mendoza, who really has been the best player for Florida State so far this season, apart from his defense, um, this is probably the most improved part. Even with all the bullpen stuff that was happening earlier in the season, I think the defense is probably the most improved when it came from the, po- the regular season to the postseason. Yeah, and I, and I don't want to go as far and say that it's, that it's improved. I think they had a really uh, great game or a great couple of games, really. Well, Saturday there were some issues. But on Sunday, a really great defensive game. And, and I think uh, – Well, I mean, when you go from zero, you know, yeah. improvement is um, – No, uh, it was, it, there was definitely an improvement this weekend. And, and I think that's, that's uh, duly noted. And uh, Matthew Nelson, who had a great weekend at the plate, scored a couple runs, drove in a couple runs, uh, crucial runs for, for Florida State. Um, but I think what really got him uh, up on the dais during that press conference on last night was uh, his pickoff to third base uh, – the runner out for the LSU's uh, runner on third took a little, you know, one step too many. Matt Nelson whipped one down to Drew Mendoza at third base, got a huge out uh, for Florida State. I believe that would have been the go-ahead run for LSU. Yeah, and they said taken. that was a that was a back pick that was coordinated. They said um, Mendoza knew about it. They they had seen the runner do it a couple of times throughout the at bat and got the signal to do it. And he said as soon as he caught the ball. If he took a little bit of a pause to throw back to the pitcher is when the, the runner would break for a, a little bit bigger of a lead. And so he caught the ball, and you can see in the video just a little bit of a pause and gunned. And that was that was just the thing with LSU. LSU got in that same game, got tagged out at second on um, a single in the sixth or something like that. It was a single that scored a run. They Their base running mistakes really – that's – they – they played more like Florida State than Florida State did. Would you agree with that, Alex? Yeah, I would. I FSU did um, – their defense was a lot better this series, and we kind of talked about that on a talking chop before the series started, too. We said that people like Drew Mendoza need to step up and be able to play better defense than he did. I think he was out of position on one play in game one. 
Yeah, no, and, and with with Drew, I think uh, you know asking him to to make the spectacular play on, on the regular is a little yeah. too much. Um, but for for a defender like him, and we know he's you know a below average defender, but a great hitter and makes up for that a little bit. Uh, but really, all you want to see out of Mendo is him making the consistent play, and he did that all weekend. You know, fielded routine ground balls, made all his throws to first base, uh, and just I think a really solid and improved performance from him at third base. So looking uh, towards the rest of the tournament, of course, we just learned that Arkansas will be facing Florida State in the uh, the, the first round of the College World Series. Uh, Michigan knocked off UCLA, which um, if you re- if you didn't see Florida State coming and getting to the College World Series, you certainly didn't see Michigan making it to the College World Series either. Uh, of course, Vanderbilt, they were taken to Game 3 by Duke. They are in as well. Louisville has been very strong all season. Not that much not that much of a surprise there. Mississippi State, and they're, the last team is going to be decided between Auburn and North Carolina. I don't know if they're playing they, yeah, they, they already wrapped up. Yeah. Uh, Auburn uh, won that one 14-7. And then Vanderbilt's in there as well. Right, yeah, I said Vanderbilt uh, already. And so it's going to be Mississippi State and Auburn uh, on the other side of things as well. Just taking a look at... Florida State, and we've already talked about it a little bit, the, the quality of the team that Arkansas is, and they're going to have to go in there and really just kind of continue the hot streak as best they can against one of the best teams in the country. Uh, I said before this even started that Florida State had a really good draw, and Gary fought me <laughs> tooth and nail to twice, it. Twice. Twice. Um, and Florida State blows through FAU. Really, em- I, I want to use the word embarrass Georgia, um, I mean, they had two yep. two top picks uh, in, in the pitchers, and they got basically run out of their own stadium. But with that being said, uh, you go to LSU. Said LSU is a good b- uh, baseball team, but they've kind of had a similar season to Florida State uh, in the SEC. But now here is where it gets a little bit more concrete, where you can say, okay, this is probably going to be a challenge for Florida State in Arkansas. Brett, I mean, you you know a lot more than probably I do at this point. How how does Florida State match up with Arkansas? Well, you look at the way that Florida State got to Baton Rouge, starting with the eleven nothing victory at the ACC tournament against NC State. They clobbered their way to this super regional, went into Athens, put up thirty four runs across three games. But then you look at what happened these past two games. It was a different style of baseball. Um, obviously, Reese Albert was undoubtedly the hero in Game One uh, with four RBIs on two home runs. But Florida State found ways to manufacture runs in ways that we haven't really seen this season. Um, you know, finding ways to get the guy on at first base, move him over to into scoring position, and driving him in. Uh, Tim Becker obviously with a sack fly, Matt Nelson with an infield single, both in Game One. And I think that's going to be really important for for Florida State once they get to Omaha against a team like Arkansas, who's going to have top pitching, uh, going to have top defense. They they might not be able to clobber the ball the way they did in Athens against FAU and Georgia. They're going to have to continue to find ways to get runs across the plate, and Tim Becker is going to be really important in that. So, Luke, I'm just going to give you the tough question right away, just looking at the road ahead and where Florida is going to have to go. Obviously, we've, we've already established Arkansas first stop there. Uh, do you see them going further? You know, they, they haven't lost a game since NC State, and it wouldn't surprise me. I think they're going to win at least one game in Omaha, um, whether that might be the elimination game or not. It just depends who you throw out. If you're going to throw out Drew Parrish and be content with allowing four or five runs and see if you can beat him, go ahead and do that. Um, but CJ and Van Eyck, we've been over here to yep. his horn. <laughs> I, I am the number one fan club 
on on CJ Van Eyck starting. And well, why why would we mess up that rotation and everything? And 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 the other the other thing is Tim Becker. I Brett, you told me this. Tim Becker is is a little bit injured. Is is that not? Yeah. So he left uh, yesterday's game. We saw him get get injured. He injured his hand uh, out on the warning track out in left field. Um, after LSU, I think, hit their game-tying double. Um, and he stayed in the game, uh, but ended up getting lifted for Nico Baldor, uh, a kind of questionable substitution, to say the least, Yeah. Um, but then replaced in the outfield. Um, actually, I, no, Florida State. He, he, he was going to get replaced yeah. by Elijah Cabell, but I, I think after the end of the press conference, it was um, I, it was Corey Clark. Oh, is it Corey Clark? Corey Clark from Warchant, yeah. Yeah, he, he kind of he nudged uh, 11 and said, you know, what what was up with that in his hand? And, and it, a little bit tight-lipped, you could tell. Um, that might be something a little bit to look into. Florida State's one of their, the players that really changed the lineup. That's that's the player that changed the lineup. He's almost like a second leadoff hitter for, for the Noles in the nine hole. Um, I, I, I can't pick against them. Um, but I'm going to go conservative and say they'll at least go one and one in the split um, with the elimination game. Yeah, I, I, go ahead. Man. No, no, I was going to reference to you anyways, or no, bring, think, bring it, bring I, it to you. I think, yeah, I think you definitely think uh, the Seminoles will win one game in Omaha. Um, predicting any more than that again is is a little too aggressive for no matter what team you're looking at. Yeah. Um, this Arkansas game is going to be tough. If they do drop it, I do think they have a chance to, to get out of the hole a little bit, either against, uh, I think it'll end up being either Texas Tech or Michigan. I think both of those teams are beatable for, for Florida State. Um, but, uh, yeah, nothing nothing comes easy in Omaha. What about you, Alex? I'm cautiously optimistic. I think that during the weekend they didn't really have any games where they won comfortably, kind of like what you guys said before. They're lucky that LSU didn't capitalize on the few uh, mistakes that they made. Um, having said that, they did just sweep LSU in the most hostile environment in college baseball. So, again, yeah. nothing would surprise me. Nothing would surprise you. Kind of just just thinking about it, you know, out of everything that's gone wrong for Florida State this season, uh, the type of games that they've been in, I think I can honestly say that the close games have really gone in Florida State's favor for the most part. For this team this season, it's either been blown out or blowout. But the few times that Florida State has gotten into those close games, it really has gone Florida State's way. Now that you're in the College World Series, I know Arkansas just beat up on Ole Miss, but you're going to get into those close games, and that gives me a little bit more optimism that Florida State is going to find those ways to get those runs and keep the game close. But uh, I'm glad I'm glad that you mentioned uh, – I can answer your question afterwards, but I'm glad that you mentioned Parrish because you and I were on the show a couple weeks ago saying – C.J. Van Eyck should start. He should yeah. be the number one guy. I don't have that much confidence in Parrish. And Parrish, really, he, he's been good, but he has given up runs. He, he hasn't thrown a solid outing where he's allowing the one or two runs. It's, it's kind of like they they labor him to see how far he can go. Just because he's a, yeah, he's, you know, a junior, just, just because he's yeah. an upperclassman doesn't mean that he uh, should start, but it's kind of worked out for Florida State, where you, then you have C.J. Van Eyck and close out games in these series. Uh, I I don't. I mean, my question to you was: Do you think do you think that's going to change, or for anybody really? Do you think that Van Eyck creeps his way, or do you think well, that that Martin is going to stick with Parrish and live with the consequences? Next yeah. season, I can guarantee you, C.J. Van Eyck will be this team's Friday yeah. starter. This season, it's they're going to keep going to Parrish and and. Uh, Luke, I know you've already kind of shot this idea down, um, but you, 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 you don't want to mess with that. So Parrish has gone day one. Van Eyck has gone day two. And, yeah, they struggled a little bit, but it, but it got him here. 
uh, to the College World Series. Um, so I think you know, again, you're guaranteed at least two games in Omaha, um, and you stick with your guns, and you go with Parrish in, in game one. Nick, you, you've asked us a lot about what was experiencing, you know, going to LSU and everything. What was it as a fan uh, going through, you know, that eight, eight inning or eighth inning debacle, and then and then you end up into extra innings. What was it like seeing Mendoza hit that shot? Was it a little bit more of relief because we're seeing it live. You you have a little bit more of a different perspective. Uh, I would I I don't think I would use the word relief because of just how you know well Florida State has been playing so far this postseason. I think if Florida State did end up dropping that second game. Um, there are definitely some questions about who that third starter would be. It was, well, Connor Grady would probably get the start, I would imagine. So maybe not that much of a, some indecision there, but I don't think I would necessarily use the word relief. Uh, and I definitely wouldn't use the word surprise either. I think I think it was just I, – I really can't find the word for it. It, it, it wasn't like – it wasn't just – I was settled. Like I was – Comfortable well, with how it happened. No, and that's uh, that's interesting because you know you know we were we were there at the game, and the longer that game went on, and, and Velez, Antonio Velez was great, but but Devin Fontenot on the other side for LSU, I'd argue was even better. He was just as good. He, yeah, he he was he was electric. He was pumped up. The crowd was behind him, obviously at Alex Box Stadium. Um, and the longer that game went on, I thought you know I don't I don't know if Florida State could score a run because. Through those extra innings, and Alex, you can elaborate on this a little bit. They were chasing pitches. It didn't really feel like uh, vintage Florida State baseball working counts, drawing walks. Uh, it, it, the offense was a little lackluster until you know Salvatore gets on, moves over to second, and and, and Mendo comes up with the big hit. But Alex, you know, you know uh, Fontenot, I didn't think they were going to be able to get anything off. No, of it, it didn't look like FSU had any. Intention on manufacturing runs, like you guys said, it just looked like everyone wanted to end the game on one swing, and now that that's what was so frustrating was it didn't seem until that 12th inning, like they were gonna manufacture runs, like they were gonna get guys on base. They were all just trying to end it on one at bat. Unfortunately for Florida State, LSU I think was doing the same thing. Cade Beloso hit one to the warning track in that game in right center field, and I was actually coming back from the bathroom, and I could just hear the crowd roar, and I thought, well, that's gone. Florida State's going to have to come behind from a run. We were going to be staying another night in Baton Rouge. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, both teams were, were struggled a little bit in those extra innings, as, as most, most teams do, especially in a tournament like this. Right. So, I mean, Florida State obviously doesn't take a rocket scientist to tell you what a turnaround they've had over the past couple of weeks. Uh, I'm sure Florida State fans are going to be really interested to see how they take on Arkansas. I'm not quite sure when that game is. It's going to be this next week, uh, in weekend, excuse me. Uh, but we have about 15, nope, 14, 13. I got it right the third time. Third time's a charm. <laughs> 13 minutes left in the show. Uh, Stanley Cup Finals are going on. That's a 3-3 tie. Bruins and St. Louis. That's been a fantastic series to watch uh, when you haven't been watching Florida State baseball. Uh, final, the NBA Finals also potentially reaching their conclusion right around the same time. Um, really want to start with a little bit of hockey first. You try and split this about five minutes and five minutes each. Luke, are you surprised with how the NHL Finals have gone so far? It's going to Game 7 in Boston, is that correct? Yes. Uh, the Blues, I, I, what I feel for are the guys who have a bunch of money on the Blues winning the, the Stanley Cup Final. Oh, it always goes bad to bad. Because the there's... Play. There, there were two guys who had it was a two hundred dollar bet for five uh, for fifty thousand, and then a, uh, a four hundred dollar bet for a hundred thousand. And I feel really bad for those people because they haven't hedged their bets yet. St. Louis had a chance to do it in their hometown. 
it's is it 50 or 51 it's somewhere around there the streak for um them not winning a Stanley Cup final and I I I don't know what it would be like for that that city who's already lost a football franchise to lose the Stanley Cup final in that fashion after being up 3 to 2 Brett I mean the Bruins have really run kind of their conference for the entire season and you know here this here's this team in St. Louis that comes up out of nowhere uh, you know, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Really, worst team in the league, and now they're in the Stanley Cup Finals. Now that they have gotten back to three to three, of course they had to, you know, fault. They fell back a game, and they did bring it back. How do you feel as a Bruins player? Really, just saying, wow, these guys have really turned it around. Well, for, for me as a as a, just a fan of hockey, I, going into this series, I thought the Bruins were going to make quick work of St. Louis. I know St. Louis had a magical run to this finals, uh, but like you said, in last place in January, and a lot of parallels to the Blues and, and the Florida State Seminole baseball team uh, kind of playing with house money. Um, but we've seen them against Boston not only beat them, but beat them handily in this series, force a game seven. And come back from being blown out in game two. Or, uh, or, I know. Excuse me, excuse me, game three. No, yeah, they've been put through the ringer this series, but have always just hopped back up and, and played really good hockey. They've been buzzing out there. Um, so I think obviously the edge goes to Boston at home, just a probably better hockey team. Um, but in Game Sevens, anything can happen. Uh, and, and the way I've seen St. Louis play, even in Boston, they've they've won a game on the road. Uh, they they could pull this off, and it wouldn't shock me if they end up winning, you know, three four nothing and beat up on the Blues or beat up on the Bruins rather. All right, Alex, I'm going to ask you the, the the very important question: Who's winning Game Seven? I think it's to be Boston, just because St. Louis has shown that they are on equal footing with Boston. But I, I just can't imagine any team going into Boston Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals and and losing. Having said that, I do know that the Blues have nothing to lose. They they shouldn't even be here right now. <laughs> yeah. So I still think it's going to be Boston in front of that crowd. All right. Well, we're just going to switch over early to the NBA Finals because there is a lot of story here. Toronto up 3-1. Not many people saw this coming. I didn't see this coming. But yet, here we are. Kawhi Leonard has led the Raptors to a 3-1 lead. He dropped, I think, 37 points, 14 rebounds in game uh, five uh, the other night, or excuse me, uh, game four. And, Luke, I just, I'm really curious to hear your take. Obviously, the big story is, well, the, the Warriors are injured. They're really roughed up right now. How much of a difference would Kevin Durant make in this series if he were playing in the first four games? Well, obviously, Kawhi Leonard is 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 the best player on the floor right now with Kevin Durant out. And Kevin Durant, he's space four, provides another shooter. And with the Warriors right now, Klay Thompson was hampered. Steph Curry couldn't really see out of his eye. Not something to be, you know, you feel very bad for because they've got four or five all-stars on there. Boogie Cousins um, coming off of injury. It's a, it's a riddled Warriors team that still should win these games. Um, even without Kevin Durant, but everyone's got to show up at the same time. Now you got to look at the perspective of: Is it ruining chemistry even more with Kevin Durant coming back and him being hurt? And you go to him. It, it's 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 a big it's a big leap. But also, could you imagine Toronto beating the Golden State Warriors, the Golden State Warriors, back to back NBA Finals champions in five games? They're playing at home in Canada. Don't rule, don't you know? Don't rule out the Raptors winning tonight because you know Drake's gonna be throwing a big party if they do. 
and I'm and I'm happy that you brought up Drake because this was actually going to be the off the talk segment before I decided to uh, just move along with Florida State baseball. Really, just thinking about player and fan interaction over the past couple of weeks. Um, you know, really big story coming out of I'm not sure if it was Game Two or Game Three, but uh, Kyle Lowry being uh, throwing himself into the uh, the courtside seats and uh, Mark Stevens, uh, a Warriors co-owner, I believe, or at least heavy investor in the franchise. Uh, gave him a very aggressive shove. Obviously, he's been fi- uh, fined five hundred thousand dollars, which that might be pocket change to him. But wow, that's a lot of money. And uh, he's also been banned for one full year. But on the other end of things, you see Drake being the personality that he is, being able to literally walk up behind Nick Nurse and give him a back massage. You know, it's kind of really a duality of things, and it's really interesting. And I'm curious to know where you think. The line should be should be set when it comes to fan and player interaction because yeah Drake is a celebrity but should that really make a difference? Well, I, watching the you know the TV broadcast and uh, the 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 trash talk that that Drake dishes out and some of the other celebrities we've seen I I, I enjoy it um, but I think it probably does affect the, the the game and that's not really something you want especially in the NBA Finals and obviously the uh, you know, incident with with Kyle Lowry getting getting shoved—that's unacceptable. I think the NBA needs to look into addressing because there has been other incidents throughout the season with Russell Westbrook. I think out in Utah, mm-hmm. um, other incidents with you know just not negative player and fan interaction. And the NBA really needs to crack down on that uh, going into this summer after the finals wrap up. Um, but going back to Drake, just really quickly, uh, yeah. Again, from from just a you know a neutral fan, I, I enjoy watching that type of stuff play out on TV. But I don't necessarily think it's it's good for for the NBA or the game of basketball. Alex, do you do you agree with or are you happy with how out fastly, first of all, or, or quickly rather, and how swiftly Adam Silver handled the situation? Do you agree with his decision and how it was handled? I do because he didn't just kind of help him up. It was obviously an aggressive push. He wasn't just trying to get him off him. He was obviously trying to start something and I think that stuff like that has no place in the game especially since it's not the first time that that's happened like you said that that's happened this season so at some point you have to say I need to hand down a really harsh punishment like you said it's kind of pocket change but it's still a lot of money because this isn't the first second or even fifth time this has happened this year right so Luke I'm going to bring it back to you Uh, I asked Brett you know where the line should be where do you think that line should be when it comes to fan and player interaction because for me and I already really gave my thoughts on it and it doesn't matter how famous you are if you're taunting a player and you're practically almost on the court I mean he stands pretty close to the court and you know that player jaws back at you that player gets a technical could change the course of the finals for, I'm curious to know where that line is drawn for you and if they, the rules should be different between regular season and postseason well I there shouldn't be a difference in rules from regular to postseason but the, the the thing is, if it's okay with the Raptors, because tech, Drake is the global ambassador for the Raptors, he, he is an employee of the Raptors, if it's okay for him to be around rubbing the shoulder, if the coach is fine with that, the players like it, then there's nothing wrong with that. Now, the yelling at, at other players, Spike Lee, Jack Nick, uh, Nicholson, uh, those guys do the exact same thing. Spike Lee was known for it. Um, and so now, because of social media and everything, um, Drake is more into the public. Uh, if you're if you're gonna get mad at Drake, you got to look at the precedent that the other guys, the o- older fellows, set. It's not really that big of a deal. It's the it's you know the the older people, the purists who say you know blah, blah, blah. 
he's just out there having fun. You know, this is this is actually his team. There's only one NBA team in Canada, only one, and he's out there repping it, uh, repping it as much as he can. It, I like. I think if you don't like it, like then okay, fine, that's your opinion. But it's not going to change the fact that Drake's going to be on the court tonight, rubbing shoulders with all the players, celebrities, um, fans, coaches, and. If he's the X factor for getting Draymond Green off the floor or Clay Thompson or Steph Curry, like you gotta you gotta grow up as an NBA basketball player if you're getting that guy to throw you off your game. Come on, it's a good point, Brett. You know, I'm just talking uh, talking about Drake here and Draymond Green. I believe it was Draymond gave a comment about Drake uh, in terms of what he was doing in the first couple of games, and he said, "Well, Drake is a, a higher personality, should so he should get more leeway." I've kind of tiptoed around this question, but I'm just going to ask it directly now. Does being a celebrity should that give you more of a leash, or should it just not matter? <laughs> Again, uh, I think I'll just go back to this point. If from the eyes of, of the NBA and uh, you know Adam Silver, uh, no. Um, I think you want to protect the integrity of the league and of every of each individual game, especially especially in the NBA Finals. Um, and I, I, yeah, I think it's something they need to really look into this summer about one because you know obviously having celebrities at the games is is huge for the league, and it's not just Drake. We've seen Barack Obama, Justin Bieber, Beyonce, and Jay Z. I mean, just a bunch of A-listers show up to not only finals games but games throughout the playoffs and in the regular season. Um, but I think it's something that, that Adam Silver and the rest of the decision-makers in the NBA need to look into. I would pay a lot of money to see Barack Obama trash talk somebody. I honestly think that probably one of the be one of the funniest things ever. That would be just great. Put, just put him, just mic him up during the game <laughs> and see if he's just flinging some, uh, some crude language towards uh, the Golden State Warriors or whoever he might be uh, rooting for in that series. But um, assuming that the, the Raptors do win tonight, Alex... What is your best interpretation of how free agency would play out because of the Warriors losing the finals? Well, in terms of Kawhi Leonard, because I guess that would be the most direct, um, directly affected free agent, I think he's going to uh, Los Angeles anyway to be with the Clippers. I think he wants to be closer to home. I do think that if they win tonight, he'll be more likely to stay in Toronto, but at the end of the day, I think he's leaving either way. And Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson, we've talked about it a bunch on the show, so there's no need to really walk over each other's steps again, but I, I don't think I've had you on, so I don't think I've gotten your opinion on it yet. No, Kevin Durant, I'm kind of... I, I think that he's gone to... I think that I think that if they wind up winning, I think he's staying. Okay. I do think that if they wind up losing, I think he's gone. I think that uh, behind closed doors and even not behind closed doors, really, he's... Well, insecure, first of all. Exactly, insecure. That's the word I was looking for. He's insecure. I don't think he appreciates the way that Golden State has been handling his injury. I kind of get a Kawhi Leonard vibe yeah. when he was leaving it's a good San Antonio. And I think that it's going to wind up having the same effect on him in which he leaves. All right, gentlemen. So do the Raptors close it out tonight, or is there a, another 3-1 turnaround? What's your predictions for the rest of the finals? The fact uh, the the Raptors are going to be popping in in Canada. The, that's probably going to be the loudest stadium that anyone's ever played in. Jurassic Park is uh, going to go wild. I I think that Kevin Durant will win this game, but the Raptors probably will still win the series. Even I I think it'll be a Herculean effort for the Warriors to win this game, but they won't have enough gas for either Game Six or Seven. I don't think the Raptors are going to win or the uh, Warriors are going to win the series now. Yeah, it's. I think Golden State wins tonight. I think having Kevin Durant back, probably on limited minutes, um, definitely helps their team though. 
And as far as predicting the rest of the series, I think I'd still give an edge to Toronto just to seeing how well Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green and Fred Van Vliet, and I don't know what his status is for tonight, but just the way that whole team is played, I think I'd give them an edge. But if Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson and the, and the rest of the Golden State team, if, if they show me something tonight, uh, I, would, I would be quick to, to change my mind back uh, in favor of the Warriors. I think that for a little bit, Golden State is going to come out amped up because they get KD back. They then, at the end of the day, I think it's a lot harder than people think to just plug in a player in Game 5 that you haven't had all series, no matter how good he is. So I think even with KD back, I think Toronto's going to know how to win better than Golden State will. And there you've had it. You've heard it here first. Uh, panel, Great panel tonight talking about Florida State baseball. NHL uh, NBA Finals as well. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. We will be back next week. Of course, new release is up next for Luke, for Alex, for Brett. Once again, I'm Nick Carlisle. You've been listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.